Hello and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect working in eastern Massachusetts on additions and renovations to existing homes. I am making it my mission to help homeowners understand the home renovation process. And as part of that, I have this this podcast, which is a growing catalog of information about the various things, decisions they're going to have to make during the home renovation process. I talk about things like, um, I interviewed people about things like tile and doors and windows, skylights, bath fixtures, roofing, other elements. Um, sometimes I, I talk about construction techniques or concepts, and today is one of those uh, episodes where I'm going to be talking about passive house design with Kurt Nicewender. So Kurt and I met actually through a Facebook group um, for architects, and I had brought up my environmentally friendly uh, guide to home renovations, and he's involved with passive house design. So we were talking about the possibilities of using passive house design in a home renovation and what that would mean. And what does passive house um, design even mean? And maybe my listeners would be interested in learning more about it. So Kurt is, um, his firm is Urban Collab Architecture, which he is just getting off the ground in Flint, Michigan. Well, welcome to the show, Kurt. You and I have been talking about the possibilities of um, using passive house design principles in a in addition to an existing house. And I've been wondering how that would work, how much you would have to do to the existing house to make that work. And so what have you found? Sure. You know, with um, energy efficiency and, you know, some of the, the measures that may be more well-known, like, like LEED, for example, or um, for residential, like HERS rating or other um, energy star, things like that. Because um, I, I, I've come across clients or potential clients that are probably more familiar with maybe energy star and, and not so much passive house. And I try and encourage them uh, about the principles of passive house and, and why I or how I got uh, informed about passive house design was at, from uh, a client that is a certified passive house consultant uh, that that came to us and wanted to uh, put the basically what put his money where his mouth is and so he he became a certified consultant and he said I wanted to design and build uh, a house that meets the the rigorous standards of passive house and so uh, 2013 we started that design and um, went through all of the, all of the process uh, is a learning experience for both of us really, because he was a new consultant and we hadn't really worked on um, anything to that, you know, level of energy efficiency. So it was, it was a pretty mutual learning experience. Um, and then since then, I, I just feel strongly that passive house principles are, are, kind of the smartest way to go it it may not be the most well how well it's all it's still kind of a, a thing that we're trying to figure out like if it's the most economical um as far as what your initial costs are versus the the return on investment the sort of payback period say if you were starting from scratch and then we can talk about reno, uh, renovation um it, you want to the first thing you want to consider is your orientation to the sun 
and and in our hemisphere, the northern hemisphere, we want to have a nice clear connection on the south side of the building. Um, and and so you know the sun is shining from the south, and you want to be able to capture um, the sun in the winter time and and then shade it in the in the the summertime. And so solar orientation is number one. Number two would be uh, over insulation or some sometimes called super insulation. So you really uh, increase the exterior envelope of the building's uh, insulation to a, to a, a much higher than than code construction standard. And and the the best analogy I've had with that is is just imagine you know you walk outside in the winter in a cold climate and you put on a heavy coat. And so you're really trying to protect yourself from the elements. Uh, and then kind of going with that in, uh, insulation factor, you want to add higher performing windows. So uh, thinking more about triple pane windows instead of double pane, and also windows that have a, a locking frame or a, a better uh, airtight seal than um, sort of your off the shelf uh, double pane window and uh, that air tightness is a big factor so so we kind of we got orientation insulation the windows and then air tightness uh, overall so how you construct the shell of the building is critical in uh, making sure that you don't have a lot of um, leaking joints and seams between uh, wood panels uh, corners in inside corners outside corners things like that wall to roof connections um, the the basement so anytime you have like a, a little crack or uh, somewhere where air can infiltrate into the building in and out um, is a, a weak point and creates a lot of loss that you don't really think about. Uh, like for th take an older home uh, that has kind of, a you know, people say drafty, right? You know, there's air kind of moving through it at all times. That's definitely right. a big impact. Yeah. And then... Um, um, and then the final one really is this air indoor air quality or the indoor environment. So you just want to make sure with that air tightness of the building, you want to move, circulate fresh air into the building at a constant rate. Um, so they use uh, systems like energy recovery ventilation uh, as as a one form of just making sure that there's fresh air inside the building because airtight buildings are definitely more. Um, uh, it's a different indoor air quality. So, you know, you, you don't have that, that drafty house kind of brings in fresh air accidentally from the outside, but, you know, in a, a more airtight building, um, you want to control that and make sure that you're not underserving the occupants, I guess, or, or making it harmful. Sorry, yeah. that's the long, <laughs> there we go. So there's like five major points to it, really. Another factor, and this is probably one of the hardest ones, I think, for clients to to perceive, is the the volume of space. So, the size of the home is is also critical to the amount of the occupants or the quantity of occupants of the home. So, hmm. say you're designing a house for um, a family of four, uh, a rule of thumb, and there's a lot of nuance or detail you can get into, but a rule of thumb would be 500 square feet of floor area per person. And that way, all of those key factors that I previously mentioned, um, those five components, 
of passive house would perform at a more optimal um, level if you're designing it around 500 square feet per person. So if you think about oh, a two-person home or a one-person home, you know, you're really thinking about a smaller building. So it's it's uh, it, it's not so that because the human um, the humans inside the building, well, I guess any living creature. So if you have pets too, but Mm-hmm. Uh, the the human occupant accounts for a lot of the heat energy inside the home because mm-hmm. you're building a very insulated and airtight building. You can account for that human uh, capacity, mm-hmm. and so in the in the summertime or the wintertime, you know your body's putting off about a hundred watts of energy, and and I and so that way you know you can raise the temperature of a passive house with your own body heat. Wow. So in, in Europe, they, they have these sort of uh, progressive parties and maybe not now because of uh, right. <laughs> the pandemic, but um, you know, neighbors uh, would get together and have, you know, like a appetizer at one house and a little, you know, cocktail at another house and spend a half an hour or so and basically giving off their body heat to the house. And then they go to the next house and, um, you can, you know, close your doors and windows and trap that heat energy inside the house and it'll stay there um, for a while. So say in the, in the, in the summertime, you open a window, uh, you know, you'll be adding some fresh air, um, but you will, you might also be bringing in some uh, heat energy from the outside uh, and then vice versa in the wintertime, you would bring in that cold air. So um, I don't think, because you have that air tightness uh, that's much higher than standard construction, you you don't make uh, a massive impact. I mean, unless you left that window open for quite a long time. Um, I had a the the passive house consultant say to me as a as another analogy or a way to to explain this to uh, clients is that a, a typical house is so leaky you imagine a two foot by two foot square hole in the side of the wall. That's how much, if you added up all the cracks in the house, it it amounts to about a two foot hole in the wall at all wow. times. Right. Really? So you're, yeah. Jeez. And so then you compare that to a passive house. If you, if you design it correctly and add up all of the, any cracks that may exist, you're looking at like a dime sized hole. So it's a very tiny, you know, like a pinhole compared to a massive uh yeah. Uh, that is a big shaft difference through the side. So, so speaking yeah. of drafty houses, how do you then add on an addition that would be airtight to a house that's already really um, you know, the old house that has a 2 foot hole in it? Sure. Yeah, and and that's kind of uh I mean something I'm personally working on is I live in a 85-year-old house here in Flint. Uh, we don't have an air conditioner. We only have a, a boiler that makes steam heat in the wintertime. Um, and, you know, we're trying to figure out what what steps do we take next to improve this building uh, and, and reduce our reliance. That's one of the key things about um, a, another key about passive houses. It's, it's intended to reduce your reliance on uh, fossil fuel sources and minimize your consumption of energy so in a if you had a a project where you were trying to put an addition on it um, it's easier to 
control the addition, the new part of the building, as far as all of those features of Passive House uh, right. from the ground up. Um, but then because you have, you know, full access to all the materials going into the building, mm -hmm. the existing building, um, you know, you, you, depending on how much intervention you want to make to that existing building, you're, you're limited to the amount of access to say, you know, say from the basement up, um, you, you know, you can't really dig a trench around the basement on the outside and create some exterior rigid insulation that would buffer from the ground yeah. and things like that. So you could, there are measures though, um, that I'm looking into, you know, like using, utilizing spray foam insulation around the, the rim joist or the perimeter of your, your first floor mm -hmm. at the basement. To seal, or, seal yeah, it off. To, to create a little more air tightness. So that's one one area. And then going up into the walls above, if you were to, there's companies that do kind of retrofit foam into those walls, like this house I live in has no, I, I'm, I'm actually working on a bathroom. Uh, so once we pulled all the plaster off the walls, you could see that there's zero insulation in the walls. It's just wood studs in hmm. the siding. Yeah, I think a lot of people have houses like that. Yeah. And so, you know, you can, you know, if you can insert as much insulation into that cavity um, with um, a, uh, a coworker of mine used a, a company called Retrofoam. I don't know if they exist all around the country, but here in Michigan, um, they uh, inserted, uh, they sort of drill some holes into the stud base and then spray foam into Spray the walls foam. i haven't heard of that i had i mean obviously i've heard of you know cellulose being blown mm -hmm. in that way but i haven't mm -hmm. heard them doing that with uh with the foam yeah it's it's an interesting uh option i mean there's trade-offs too right i mean uh, without going into a big tangent um you know the the embodied energy of a foam product versus yeah. a cellulose product and yeah. those are other factors to consider too um but so so basically you can do things to the existing building to, to raise its air tightness. Um, although an, another one would be the windows and doors. Uh, if you wanted to, you know, really improve, uh, th that's a huge area to improve upon those, the connect. Anytime you cut a hole in the wall and put a door or a window, it's uh, a, a pretty big impact to the overall energy efficiency of that wall. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about this while you were talking about the windows that if you, I guess you could take out, you could replace all the windows with triple glazed windows, theoretically. Mm -hmm. That yep. you think that would be. Yeah. Um, do you think that's worth doing? Is that worth doing if the whole rest of the wall is, I mean, is it's just a double pane window window close enough or if uh, people have like a storm window and a single um, pane window, Maybe could they replace, keep the storm window and just replace it with a double pane sure. window because that would be still three panes and maybe less expensive if they already have the storms that are relatively new. Yeah, that's a, that is a good point. Um, my house doesn't have any storm windows, so I kind of forget about that factor. But um, yeah, you're and then you're also creating a cavity of air, which is a really good insulator. Mm. Um, so you have that volume of air in between the storm and the and the the window itself um and i guess if if you were to if you didn't want to go all the way to triple pane um 
components of a window to consider would be that the U factor. So this is very technical. Yeah, <laughs> the windows, it's easy windows to find detail. out what the U factor is of the window, though. Yeah, many, many manufacturers, almost if probably all of them are, are advertising or can share that information and data with you now. Um, so in, in the U factor, you want to look for a small number. So it's going to be from one to zero and you want it to be, you know, definitely not one. So you want, you know, like a, a good passive quote unquote or certified, you know, passive house window would be 0 0.17 uh, U factor. Oh, okay. And so even, and even lower, um, huh. the more, even the more money you spend, you know, you can drive that down. Um, but I would look, you know, there's a lot of good manufacturers of double panes now that are in the twos, you know, so 0 0.2, 0 0.25, you know, 0 0.22. Mm -hmm. um, but then you want to look at the, um, <clears throat> the frame itself. So if, if you have, the, there's a term we, we use called thermal bridging. And mm -hmm. so if you have your double pane window and imagine if, the interior material, so the, the part that you see inside the house is the same material as the outside. And there's no isolation or insulation between those uh, outside inside components. Then, you know, if, if we go back to the early, early education of uh, thermodynamics, but, you know, the, the heat transfer through conduction of the frame uh, from outside to inside is a big impact. So if you can find a thermally broken frame, so that would be like the key term to think about. So the the walls, when you're super insulating the walls, do you, on the passive house, my understanding is that they're thicker than the two by six walls we would normally use with new walls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how well, thick are they? Well, okay, that's a good question because um, it would depend on your climate region. So, uh, yeah. you know, you're, you're in Massachusetts in the Northeast and I'm in Michigan. I think we're probably pretty close um, or within one climate zone. So, I, you know, I, anywhere in Michigan is from like a five to a seven, the farther north you go. The northern climate, so for us, five and six and, and, and even seven, um, we are a more heat dependent uh, zone so where where we need to heat in the wintertime versus cool in the summertime right um and then ver going south toward florida and california and arizona you know you're looking at climate zones three four um maybe two i'm not exactly sure uh if america the united states i should say gets down to two but um you're more cooling dependent so you need to consider the summer months more and so, uh, well, so anyway, so, so far the projects I've worked on in the Michigan area, um, the code minimum right now is a two by six framed wall and you could put R19, I think insulation in that wall, which is, it, it will meet code. Um, <clears throat> so as you know, a two by six stud wall is, you know, it'll wind up being, you know, by the time you have your drywall and the siding, you know, six and a half inches, seven inches, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, the two projects that I'm, that I have been, that have been built that I worked on um, one wall was, um, I got to do the math real quick. I think we're probably, it was approaching 14 inches thick mm. for the wall. And it's a built up assembly. It's multiple layers of framing. Um, some prefabricated and some field framed and then um there was 
another house I worked on where we used SIP walls or SIP panels, structural oh, insulated yeah. panel system. So SIPS. Um, so it's a prefabricated wall and roof assembly with rigid foam and, and OSB sheathing sandwiched together. Um, and so it's nice because it's prefabricated and you as, as long as your drawings are accurate and the fabricator sends their shop drawings over and you, you know, it's kind of like a, like a full size Lego kit really. And it's, right. so it's been, it's, 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 uh, it, the, my experience with it worked out really well as far as, you know, what happened in the factory of those panels went on site and it, you know, was, it went to together really quickly. Um, and those were 12 inch thick walls with a 16 inch thick roof. Hmm. Um, so a lot heavier. So, and so to think about like standard construction, our value, your, our, your wall is about our 19 and, you know, adding the, various materials maybe you know you're at r20 or something r21 the walls that i was designing with are were about r55 to 60 hmm. uh, so about three times almost three times more insulated than a standard construction how do you find a contractor who would be okay with doing an addition with something like like that hmm. is there like a group that you would go to if you were interested in this. Another question I have is why would um, the, in terms of the investment in building this way versus the long, the life cost, life cycle cost of running the building, is it, is it worth the extra money and space that a passive house construction would take if you're building onto an, an existing house, do you think? So those yeah. are kind of my two very different questions. One is how do you find a contractor who would be either willing to do the passive house stuff with the pre-manufactured walls or just somebody who's willing to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's any good... Tips for finding people like that. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a pretty interesting. Cause yeah, of all the, you know, the two buildings, the two uh, recent projects that were completed. Um, I don't, I never really talk about the contract. <laughs> The one, well, the, the, and not to, not to make light of it, but um, yes, it's, it's definitely a challenge, right? I, I think uh, studying the building science and thinking about the, the systems that go into the building are, it, there's a certain amount of logic that, you know, I, I say, oh, that makes sense. Like, you know, why, why wouldn't we want to use this, you know, method versus, standard construction, you know, totally makes sense. But then finding contractors that will um, basically in general, it's my experience that a lot of residential builders are like to stick to what they know and, yeah. and going beyond code, it starts to go into territory that is uncomfortable to a lot of builders and you really need to get them on board early to become an ally and, and sort of a team player in, in the process. And mm -hmm. uh, in the first project, that one that we kind of, you know, that I called the learning experience with the client and, and our side on the design side, um, it actually, it started with one builder who we thought we got um, 
you know, fully on board and educated as far as all the extra detail. And then he wound up leaving, um, I'd say, you know, two thirds of the way through. Mm. And, and we, the client had to find a, a replacement contractor. The, basically, the shell, the frame was up. Um, and then it really came down to finishing the interior uh, insulating uh, points and the detailing. And so luckily did, the shell got up, but. Um, did, did he leave because of the project or just happened to, to leave? Well, he, so partly was he didn't account for some of the additional material and labor that, you know, goes into making a building more airtight and, um, you know, uh, detailing your window openings to hmm. be a little more insulated and protected. And, you know, the, the drawings and the communication, you know, was we, we thought we were there. And you know, so that he was, he got into an argument with the, the homeowner about like he underpriced certain things and needed more money to compensate for the additional details. So it didn't, you know, that didn't work out, but they, the client, found another builder and and it did work out in the end that the project did get finished but um definitely a lot to learn there um and then and then in the second project uh we learning from that first one um did even more sort of vetting with the contractor to make sure that they understood the critical details that are needed to execute the building and he was a lot more it, well, he was on board and stayed on board and, you know, was personality wise was willing to ask the questions when he didn't know and he didn't want to assume something and and be wrong. And which was really helpful because he would call me and, you know, sometimes it would be a little bit uh, uh, very, you know, like over overwhelming with the amount of phone calls. But rather than him making an assumption that could be wrong, you know, we, we walked through. So again, uh, still learning through the process. Uh, so, so to answer the question as far as how to uh, find a contractor, um, the, the, there in the United States, there's the certified or the passive house Institute of the U S. So they call it, the nickname is FIUS, P H I U S. Um, they, their website and their, community uh, is pretty active in assisting with um, connecting people to passive house consultants in your area. Um, and cause there's a, a nationwide certification process. So they, they're kind of, they're definitely growing in, in population. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be a help. And then in general, it really is, it's a, a sort of a collaboration and of communication between the owner, the architect and the contractor to you know educate and make sure that everybody uh, stays on the same page and so um it, you know so in both cases of of my projects that I'm using as an example neither contractor had built at this level before um but it, so we needed to go through that sort of education process uh, and hopefully as more passive house projects or, or energy efficient, um, high performing buildings are created. More people are a little more aware of, of the level of 
detail that's needed for that. So that's my hope. I'm optimistic. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's going to, I think that is going to happen. But uh, if you were trying to convince a somebody who is kind of mildly interested in, in what they could do to make their home the highest performance type home possible, what would you say the advantages to them would be for building, especially sure. if it's an addition? I mean, I would think that you'd probably have to gut your existing house for the most part. Would you have to do that? Or just could you replace the windows? You wouldn't really be able to seal up the walls as well without gutting it. So there might not be, every project might not be a good candidate for this, or what do you think about that? I guess those are two different questions. So one sure. question, the first question is what would be the arguments for building this way? Cause it sounds, it's a little bit of a hassle. It sounds like in that <laughs> you have to kind of do a lot more planning and find the right person to build it and learn as you go, but what's the advantage of doing it? Sure. So, and it might cost more. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. So yes, there's, is definitely an increase uh, what we call first cost so that you know initial construction cost or price is higher than uh, standard construction and um, what we are what we're using is is uh, is a kind of an approximate range of about 20 percent more than standard construction at least mm -hmm. here for Michigan this this could vary I don't know if you can hear hopefully my dogs are they're barking at something but <laughs> yep it's typical uh, we to the right moment um so we we kind of and it's kind of proven itself out in in um the two and i'm currently working on a design that's in the bid phase uh, so that 20 percent number is is kind of proving accurate mm -hmm. um if you go to fias that organization's website uh they they kind of give you a range between 10 to 20 percent um and my goal in life is as an architect in this is to try and bring down that that increase that 20 percent increase cost uh as low as i can um but the, the the benefit of uh choosing to go passive house either in new construction or renovation um is if and going back to that comment on uh, reliance on fossil fuels and your reduction of energy consumed. If you did, if you go to the level of passive house, you have the benefit of decreasing your demand on energy up to 90%, right? Hmm. So it's not a small, you know, incremental return. I mean, you can we're looking at 80 to 90% less than standard construction if you go to and meet passive house and that last 10 to 20% can be made made up in a in a small array of sol solar panels so then you're looking at a net zero what we call net zero energy consumption yeah. building so uh, but the, the 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 tricky part the next step i think when when trying to uh, discuss this with clients so you you look at a 20% increase, but then if you weigh in your energy consumption costs, your return then is eight to 10 years, and maybe even a little less if you if your first costs aren't so high. So within 10 years, you've paid off that premium, that 20% premium. Hmm. And then you have a house that's either net zero or net zero ready, and therefore you would have zero energy bills 
you know, mm-hmm. so you're, you're looking at, you know, a life of, or the, the, the lifetime of that building of um, not worrying about paying, paying for utilities. And so um, the, the, the one part that, that I go further with clients is that there are a lot of decisions and uh, features that you may have to sacrifice or not may have to, you, you would definitely want to, or need to sacrifice. Like, you know, if you like cooking with gas, uh, that's mm. not, not a good idea or not really going to make it. Cause you want to basically convert your house to an entirely electric building so that you yeah. can go to that solar panel array. Um, and then things like fireplaces, um, you know, that's basically a giant hole in your building, <laughs> Right. A giant way to get you know cold air inside the building, and it so it's so you know people that have this idealized image of what a home is, you know, feels like the space is like you know big fireplace things like that. Um, you you have to take that step to educate away from, or you have to kind of ask the client to take a leap uh, of faith toward uh, the a different style of building. You could still have the looks uh, of the the space, the architectural features, mm-hmm. you know, of, of a traditional house, but you don't have, you know, a chimney or a fireplace, so to speak, you know, you take those things off. So, um, you know, in some cases it can be a deal breaker. So, um, and then again, the square footage too, you want to kind of match that to the amount of people inside the building. So, um, so yeah, it's a long story short, it's a, it's a, um, I think, I think personally, you know, right. The, the return that 80 to 90% better than standard construction is a huge upside. Yeah. yeah. Compared raise to the, the value of a house, I would think when you're selling it, I mean, who wouldn't want to buy a house that really barely has any, yeah any energy costs. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I, I would, I would hope so. And there is a mindset shift for sure. Yeah. And I, I think what was the other component? There was another ha- half of that question too, right? Well, I think I asked two totally different questions. How would you convince a client to do it? I guess was that it? Right, and and I that's I try and I try and work on um, uh, you know that that twenty percent up or increase cost against the the ninety percent or eighty percent, um, and. It, I think in it's still currently with with potential clients that you know call call or uh, or you know find the website or you know are interested in building a house and they hear about passive house is I it still takes uh, a client's willingness to think uh, beyond beyond certain aspects of you know say like you want them to be kind of bought into the the concept of energy uh, um, independence or being more uh, light on the land, right? You're mm. Reducing their their carbon footprint. It's going to have to uh, kind more of come so from them. Then, yeah, they, they yeah, because yeah, it sounds we like we often it's... say, oh sorry, no, go ahead. Well, I was just saying we often start a project process where they're interested in in passive and then they say well i want this giant wall of glass like facing you know this area of the house which is north and you say well in our climate yeah that's not going to really it's going to really impact your energy uh 
loads. And, and so, yeah, they, they do have, I think that's a good point that it has to come from them because it, there are some sacrifices like you're mentioning yeah. just in your mind shift and what you conceive of your house to be looking like. So, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I haven't personally found that there are, well, they haven't come to me because I don't, I don't necessarily, um, promote that, you know, so it wouldn't be like I would be attracting people who are interested in that. But I find in a lot of the people that I work with who are renovating their existing homes and um, maybe building an addition onto them is uh, I ask them if they're interested in energy efficiency or green building technologies or anything. And a good, a good portion of them just say, yeah, no, not really. Yeah. Which I find depressing a little bit. Same here. Yeah. So, um, but I still, you know, I have my guide that I wrote. So I still try to get people to, I always send that out with my proposal. So at least they can get, um, get an idea of what I might be bringing up later on. But there's a lot of things that you can do. You don't have to go totally passive. You can actually, mm-hmm. there are lots of things you can do to improve the end product if you're not interested in a fully passive house. I think I would probably do it. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no danger of me building my own house. I don't think. Yeah, right. But um, it'd be, I, that would be I, great. I do think because I, I've mostly, or I've talked a lot about like the the general uh, construction in a, in sort of new construction sense, but in a um, existing building, I, I and you know even adding an addition to to an an existing building, I believe there are say if you were to achieve passive house uh, certification their 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 benchmarks are different than in new construction so they kind of give a little bit back toward uh not having as uh, uh high a bar to 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 jump over so to speak hmm. um just because understanding that it, you know you have some limitations in an existing building so yeah um that's still that's something also to consider to help uh help uh keep people in in, in on on that uh or going in the direction i guess for toward a passive house um okay well and you have a do you want to say anything about your website or anything because you do have a a download on oh there. yeah uh, yes, that's right. You found it. Yeah, I downloaded <laughs> oh, <it's> it. <laughs> the self-build uh, websites, you know, thank, thankfully there's WordPress and things like that. <laughs> yeah, it makes it easier than, I don't know how many years ago, 20 years ago, trying yeah. to make your own website was not possible really. Well, yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I never even fathomed I, I would even be able to. Um, but uh, yeah, so I have... Uh, the company is called uh, Urban Collab Architecture, and I, I spell it uh, C-O-L-A-B. So it's kind of a play on words in collaborative, but also laboratory. And hmm. so there's only one L, you know, so if somebody thinks, oh, coll- collaborative has two L's, but um, <laughs> I haven't been spell checked yet. So um, it's, it's, so the website is uh, Urban Collab with one L dot design. And um, I also uh, have a podcast that that is totally unrelated to um, uh, energy in in the sense that uh, I have a a friend that I met through the AIA that, you know, we 
were on committees together, uh, Jamie Crawley in Texas. And so we, uh, we, we like to talk about um, sketching and mostly his sketches and how he um, posts them on Instagram. And so uh, we have a podcast that we call the Coffee Sketch Podcast. And it's just, huh. it's kind of started out as a, uh, an excuse to keep in touch once our uh, AI committee work ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, we became good friends, and so we wanted a, a reason to uh, uh, call each other up and and uh, kind of keep the the banter going about um, you know sketching techniques and things like that, and, and also coffee since we yeah also fans coffee of, yeah of, of a good cup of coffee. <laughs> so I'm going to have to listen to that. I I just found out about it today, but I um, I'm just wondering how. Um, since you can't see the sketches on the podcast, I'm very curious to know what it's like to mm-hmm. talk about them. But, and also must them, you must have an Instagram <clears throat> account to follow yes. along with that. So, yeah. So if for the, for the bulk of the sketches, uh, Jamie's Instagram is at fallout studio, um, all one word. And uh, so that's where he posts. We also um, post to Twitter as well. So there's at coffee sketch on Twitter. And uh, so he couldn't, unfortunately, get uh, at Coffee Sketch on Instagram. So we have to work on that one. But and it was um, tough to yeah, get the, it all lined up. Oh, yeah. The, the, so yeah, the, we were kind of aware that the, um, the a podcast is an audio. Uh, well, yeah, of course you are. Right. But I mean, that. I've often wondered about that, too, because I, I have an art series, like talking art series. And I I don't see how I could talk about that in a podcast because really talking to artists, kind of seeing their work <clears throat> would be, you know, best. But I am loving these. I'm on Instagram right now looking at his sketches. They are great. Thanks. I love yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We mostly talk about his. I don't, I unfortunately am not as prolific a sketcher as Jamie. And so um, it, it's just kind of a fun prompt to uh, pick one and talk. So what we do is mm. we just, we pick one or two and, and, uh, we talk about it. Um, and, and so we, we try and describe like what's going on in the sketch so that you can understand. So you can hopefully visualize the listener could visualize what's going on. And then we, I post links into the show notes of the Instagram pages so that you can see them. And, um, yeah, you can replace the image for each episode uh for your podcast at least i figured out this trick and uh so i post like the one the main one of the main you know, if there's two sketches i pick you know one and i post that so if it comes up on your phone for a podcast you can see a little thumbnail at least of yeah, of the sketch so that's great you know a little teaser or a little hint about the uh, subject matter well, so i'll definitely check yeah, that that's out our sounds trick. great <laughs> Thanks. Uh, thank you so much for being on today. So I, I hope that um, more people are willing to do what it takes to make these things happen in their in their houses. And you know, may we both find the people who want to do it. Like thanks. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Agreed. girl. I'll see you. Um, I'll see you around. Thank you so much for listening today. I learned a lot about passive house design. And I think the most important takeaway for me is that it really needs to have full buy-in from the, from the homeowner because um, getting people to 
build things differently than they might normally build them or finding making the effort to to make it happen is going to require um, determination on the part of uh, everybody involved. So that would be the architect, the contractor, and the homeowner because there will always be easier and less expensive ways of doing it. But uh, so you need to kind of be dedicated to the passive house um, concept. Seems to me. Anyway. I really do appreciate Kurt's time, and you can download Passive House information at his website, which is urbancolab.design. And if you have any ideas for future episodes, why don't you send me an email at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. If you'd like to share this with your friends, I would appreciate it. Also, you could leave a review or maybe rate the podcast. That would also be appreciated. So this has been a production, as always, of my architecture firm, which is Demios Architects. And you can download my green guide at my website, which is www.demiosarchitects.com. And that's about it for today. See you in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm.